Welcome back to the Canyon Chasers podcast with Alex May and Dave. And uh, I think the first order of business is is we have to choose a name. Because if you listen to episode one, uh, we put it out there for um, uh, our listeners, all eight of them, to uh, submit um, uh, ideas. And we got a parcel of ideas. And what we did... Is I'm going to read off some of the ones that we all liked, and um, we did a ranked choice voting system, and we will announce the winner, and we're, we're saying winner because the winner actually wins something. Tell them what they've won, Alex. So we're giving the person that came up with the name we ended up using um, a free gift code for Champ U, and ideally, we'd love to see you give this gift code away to a friend or a loved one who rides motorcycles and, you know, really kind of help develop the community. If you need to use it for yourself, if you don't have champion already, awesome, go for it. Um, but if you want to give it away, kudos. I think that's amazing. Thank you for giving that away. Uh, let's go through some of the names that we that kind of stood out. Um, John Baker kind of built off of your idea between two bikes, and he came up with between two wheels, which I really like that one. Um, Lyle McDonald suggested the friction zone, but I think that has like a double entendre meaning there. So I don't know if we can use that one. <laughs> um, S and VM 69 came up with in my helmet. That one I thought was great. He came up with a bunch actually, uh, drop a knee, twisted wrist. I don't think Keith code would appreciate us using twisted wrist though. Shin Z had a whole bunch, uh, beyond the curve, the chattering chassis, the reference point. Um, Brother Lance had the rev limit. Uh, Saber F4I. I wonder what he rides. Uh, not just another motorcycle podcast. That's kind of as terrible as our existing name. Sorry, man. It is a little tongue in cheek. <laughs> it's a little tongue in cheek. <laughs> and then Kaplan came up with uh, the braking zone. So we went through, we ranked choice, and the winner is. Uh, Kaplan with the braking zone. We all really liked this name because a lot of what we're talking about is slowing down and talking about these things in more detail. So Kaplan, I will be in touch with you uh, with your coupon code provided generously by uh, Alex with Yamaha Champions Riding School. So super awesome. So the our topic for today, which was requested by quite a few people, the topic of today is we're going to talk about track day. And uh, a lot of people really have the misunderstanding that you have to have a specific bike for track day, that um, you can't do it on certain kind of motorcycles. There's a lot of confusion about track days as um, like what's required of the bike. A lot of people think it's is um, involved as racing and it's not. Um, there's tremendous value in doing track days and we're going to cover all of that. So I think the first thing we should ask is really kind of what exactly is a track day? Well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not racing. Um, so for those of you guys that think that you have to, you know, have a super bike and slicks and, you know, all these other things, that's, that's just not the case. A track day is really just a place for you to go practice inputs for your motorcycle at real world speeds. And by real world speeds, I mean, whatever speed you're comfortable at, if you're comfortable at, you know, freeway speed, 65 miles an hour to 80 miles an hour. Cool. Come on out. If you're comfortable at that speed on your gold wing. Sweet. Bring it. Uh, the racetrack is 
is kind of a controlled environment, but really it's more of a closed course. And by closed course, we mean it's a single lane that goes one way, uh, really very wide. But at the end of the day, it's just a strip of pavement with a couple of corners you can repeat over and over and over again to really practice uh, these techniques that you know could save your life. I've likened it a lot of times to think of that your eight favorite corners on your favorite road in a loop. So you're just doing that really awesome section of road that you love so much over and over and over again without any oncoming traffic. Uh, no, I, you would say party lights. Uh, there's no performance awards. Um, you, you can actually go as, as quickly as you want. And on the flip side is there isn't an obligation to be super fast. We hear all the time people are like, well, I'm not fast enough to do a track day. Um, there's no speed requirement. There, there's some etiquette things that we can kind of talk about a little bit later, but uh, you're not required to be super fast to come do this. Well, no. And one of the other things to think about is at one point in your life, you're probably going to be the slowest person out there on the track. We've all been there. It's totally fine. You know, you get faster as you go. That's why you go out there is to get safer and to get faster. It's the safest environment we have as motorcyclists, right? The reason we use the racetrack is because it's controlled, because it's measurable, because, you know, we can practice all these things with very little risk. Um, there's lots of runoff. There's no guardrails. There are no cliffs there, except for maybe Barber Motorsports Park. There really aren't any deer. They're jumping across the track in front of you. Um, no oncoming cars. You know, it's, it's just a quite a lovely place actually to ride a motorcycle. I've often said that the track is a kind of a, a selfish environment, right? I can go ride the pace I want to go. I can work on the techniques I want to work on. And for the most part, I really don't have to think about all those other things. I don't have to worry about, am I speeding? You know, uh, is there going to be gravel or, you know, a, a driveway or random things that could be popping out that we have to deal with on the street? And there's people out there, we have corner workers that are communicating with the riders to let them know if there is gravel. You have flagging stations. They'll wave a flag to say there's debris here. And so you're you're never really going into a corner completely unprepared for what might be. And it, it does result in this really excellent opportunity for learning and improving our craft. Whereas a parking lot, yeah, it might be a parking lot, but there's cars parked there and cars leak oil and there's paint stripes all over the place. There's you know, even a parking lot doesn't provide the opportunity that a racetrack does. Right. And in a parking lot, you know, we're obviously limited to parking lot speeds and you can get away with so many bad habits in a parking lot because really nothing matters when you're going that slow. Like you can get away with just some of the worst technique in the world because you're going 20 miles an hour. But as we add speed or as we decrease available grip, right, as the pace goes up or the grip goes down, all those little things start to matter. So we really want to practice, you know, for the real world, you know, in the, in the military, we always said, you know, train, train as you fight. So why would you train at 20 miles an hour for something that you're going to go out the very next day and do at 80 miles an hour? It just doesn't make, you know, a tremendous amount of sense. Sure. You can start, you know, manipulating the controls a little bit here and there and doing a couple other things in the parking lot. But at the end of the day, like we want to bring those speeds up and in a safe environment, in a safe way, so you can really start feeling the effects of these controls on the motorcycle. Yeah, one of the, uh, the, one of the most common questions I'm getting lately is, how do I get more comfortable leaning? 
And so they go to a roundabout or a parking lot and they just start doing circles. And there is a substantially different feel to leaning a motorcycle at 20 miles an hour than there is leaning a motorcycle at 60 or 70 miles an hour. So it's, it's hard to kind of perfect your techniques in one environment and then apply them to a different environment. It's different. It's very different. Well, and parking lots don't necessarily have the best surfaces either. Alex, you would know much about this, how you took my R3 out and was spinning circles in a parking lot and hit a little crack and whoop, down you went. So the track surface is a much better place to practice things like that because the track surface is much better than a parking lot or the roadway. Yeah, and one of the things that you know really kind of contributed to that crash was the fact that I was just going in circles. Um, you know, we kind of hesitate to recommend people just go in circles all day long and, you know, practice getting their knee down and, you know, whatever else for that, um, purely because you're not really adding load to the tires, right? Um, when we're thinking about motorcycle crashes, the, the vast majority of crashes we see are an underloaded front tire. So if we're just sitting there spinning in circles, we're, you know, very much risking an underloaded front tire low side, um, if you want to go out into a parking lot and, and practice something like that, by all means, go for it. Um, our recommendation would be do big U-turns. That way you have to you know, build some acceleration as you're coming up to that U. Use the brakes, put those brakes on past tip in, and start feeling that weight transfer. And on the backside of the U, start feeling that weight transfer back to the rear tire as you're coming out of it. Every rider will benefit from track time because um, – it is such a real world place, you know, and it's, it's amazing to me. We see all the time, uh, MSF instructors or even just the average rider will come as like, well, I'll come do a track day just to kind of see what it is. And you'll watch someone that you would look at and consider to be a very proficient rider. I think you guys recently at champ school had a motor cop come through one of your programs, right? And they come, they're already a proficient rider. You put them on the racetrack where they can kind of really focus and think about these things at a higher level and you watch their riding just flourish really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we see quite a bit of that, you know, especially with professional riding backgrounds, like, uh, you know, basic riding instructors, motor cops, things like that, you know, or people like that, sorry. Um, they come in with already a pretty darn good control of their motorcycle and, you know, mechanical inputs, control inputs. Um, and then we just kind of take them to the next level. We kind of say, Hey, you know, here's the limit of, you know, where your technique works and we should start, you know, adjusting things, um, start adding, you know, that, that trail breaking and start, you know, really focusing on, you know, loading the tires before we work the tires. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity for new riders and experienced riders or even, you know, professional riders as it were to, to improve their skills. There's, there's no limit on the racetrack to, how far your skills can develop. This is something I really love about track days too, is, um, you know, when we get scared, we, and we push into those fight or flight responses, what happens to us physiologically is we lose fine motor skill, right? Our body is preparing to run away or to punch the bear. It's not thinking about these fine motor skills. So when we're riding on the racetrack, we're going to be going speeds that we would never go on the street. I hope, um, so you get used to what these, um, speed sensations feel like. So when you find yourself on a public road, going into a corner faster than you're comfortable with, that is still slower than you've gone through a corner on a racetrack. 
Yep. And you know, we, we see it all the time, right? You, you know, we get, uh, you get off the racetrack, you've been doing, you know, 130, 140 miles an hour down the front straight, depending on what bike you're on. And you get onto the street and now you go, okay, I don't have the runoff. I don't have the gravel traps. I don't have the, the wide lanes. I have guardrails. I have cliffs. I have deer. I have all these things. So I'm going to dial it way back down. Right. Um, you know, we say we, we leave a 30% safety margin. I would argue that, you know, as I get faster on the racetrack, I actually increase my safety margin and go even slower on the road. Um, just because you get so used to having that, that margin for error. And then you realize all of a sudden, oh, wow, I don't have any margin at all on the street. Um, but we get to the street and now the speeds are low. We're still using the same exact techniques we used at the track day. Um, just a different degree of application. So when that car does come into our lane, we go, oh, we can deal with this. Just add a little bit more brakes or, you know, add a little more body, a little more lean, whatever the, the situation may, may dictate. Um, it really takes the drama out of the sport. We still go have an absolute blast, but no drama. And even though a, a track school or a track day isn't necessarily a school, there's people like me that are there that are the control riders, which is a very kind of, you know, sounds more impressive than it is, but I'm there to help and coach and to provide answers and to help your riding improve. And I don't know of any track day organization that doesn't have someone like me there to help out. Yeah. And control riders are specifically there with, you know, the riders safety in mind. That's really the reason you exist as a control rider. Um, so it's kind of like being the friendliest police officer you could possibly imagine. <laughs> Well, it's totally true, right? Because I'll pull people off the track oftentimes. I'll see them do something or they're running a crazy line where they're running off into where the, the marbles are, where all the little balls of rubber kind of roll up and, and you'll pull them off the track and they're like, whoa, what was I doing? And you're like, hey, man, you just did this. And they're like, oh, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, like it, it changes from because we're so used to, especially in America, we're so used to, you know, uh, an interaction with an authority is very often con con uh, um, not controversial. Confrontational confrontational right and and we try really hard not to be that's not what we're after we want you to have a great time we want you to to um i used to always joke we want you to go home with a shiny motorcycle but i see how some people treat their motorcycles so now i say we want you to go home with your motorcycle in the same condition you brought it in you know yeah plus a few smiles minus some gas and worn out tires on the side right because on the street we're always wearing out our tires in the middle let's go wear them out on the sides for a change right <laughs> But, you know, you go back to your, hang out with your buddies the next weekend and your tires, there's no more chicken strips. Right. And you're like, and they're like, whoa, dude. So it is it's really good bragging rights for your buddies. I thought it'd be fun to talk about our first track day experiences. May, what was your first track day experience? Well, my first track day experience was in preparation for champ school. Um, I knew I was taking the school uh, and I was afraid of my nerves because I know when I get nervous, I have a tendency to not pay attention as well, not absorb as much as I possibly could. So I wanted to get that first time experience out of my system. Um, so I did my track day um, probably about a month before my first champ school. And it just helped me exponentially because I feel like I got so much more out of that champ school than I would have otherwise. What was it like the night before, like preparing for the track day? Like, was there a lot of anxiety about, oh, I'm going to a racetrack? Oh, it wasn't just the night before. It was like the week going up to it. Like, you felt fine. And the week coming up, you're like, oh, crap, that's this weekend. Like, I'm not ready for it. Uh, do I have everything I need? Um, 
know, there's, there's a lot of anxiety for a lot of people going to the track and that's totally fine. And honestly, if you go out on the track your first day and you come off that first session and you either feel like you're going to cry or you do actually cry, it's fine. Um, everybody has those nerves. There's just so much emotion going into the track that when you come off of it, it's like decompressing. And the best advice I can give to people is just go out a second time. That second time out is going to be completely different. You're going to have a blast and you're going to be hooked. And that's just the way it works. Yeah, I know for me, like I was so afraid that I wasn't going to be good enough, that I'd be out there and I'd be the slowest person out there. And, you know, and I was, I was the slowest person out there the first time out there. But you realize right away, it's just riding a motorcycle. I know how to ride a motorcycle. And you just like immediately, just like you said, the nerves just come down, right? And it just becomes mm -hmm. so much better. Uh, Alex, what was your first track experience like? Well, so my first track experience was actually at the school. Um, so effectively, I cheated. And so my first actual track experience was more similar to yours. I, I didn't feel I was ready to just go do a track day. And so I did a Jason Pridmore school at Pahrump, Nevada. Nice. On a Honda Hawk GT. And... It was like, oh, this is this is the deal. This is fantastic. And, you know, you go out there and you know, like I was slow right off the bat, but then you just start to progress so quickly and you're just getting like this big, you know, boost of improvement. And you're like, oh, oh, and like it just really I'm getting kind of excited just remembering the story, you know, like how much joy that track kind of brought. Yeah, speaking of progression, though, May, how's your progression been both on the street and on the track over the last couple of years? Well, honestly, we don't ride street as much as we used to. Um, I think the track has kind of spoiled us a little bit. And when we do ride on the street, it's a lot of information overload um, because you have all that oncoming traffic and things you have to watch out for. And you just find yourself getting a little flustered. Um, whereas on the track, you don't have to worry about all that stuff. So it's much more comfortable for me to ride on the track and I don't enjoy street riding as much. Um, but when we do go street riding, I don't even have to think about what I'm doing anymore. Um, I don't have to worry about the river off of the side of the road and I don't have to worry about the oncoming traffic because I just understand how my motorcycle works and how to keep it in the exact position on the road as I want it. And we just go and it's nice. Um, as far as the track, that's been, an interesting progression. Um, you know, started in C group, just like everybody else. C group is what we call the polite group at our club and got faster, worked my way up, got to the point where I was one of the faster people in C group, moved up to B group the following year. The Thunderdome. And the Thunderdome. Yeah. And I found that my progression actually halted a little bit because being in the Thunderdome, I was slightly terrified <laughs> that I was going to get run off the track. So what I ended up doing is actually going back down to C group and, you know, they don't tell you, you have to be a certain speed. Um, once you get too fast, you can't ride in this group. As long as you understand that this is the polite group, you're welcome. And so we go out there, all three of us together, and we'll just rip around the track, play around. And it's so much fun because you just give people space and they don't care that you blow their doors off. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we've been talking a lot about, you know, different kinds of groups, C, B, A. Um, so let's kind of define these a little bit, right? So C group or novice group, as it's called in, in some track organizations, is where we see, you know, newer riders, uh, riders on slower bikes, um, just slower riders and people who 
want to be passed more politely, shall we say, than in the other groups. Um, you know, at, at UMC, we at Apex Track Days, we literally call it the polite group. Uh, B group is where we start seeing some things get a little wild uh, because we have a lot of ego in B group. We got the we have the people that don't want to have the C group sticker on their motorcycle, and we have the people that aren't fast enough to be in A group, or they're fast enough to be in A group, but they'd be the slowest people in A group, and they can't pass anybody. Um, we also have a very wide array of skills and lines in B group, so it becomes uh, a little interesting. We typically refer to it as a thunderdome. Um, and then we have A group, which is primarily made up of you know the faster riders, been around a while, um, typically online, uh, very predictable. Uh, the passing is much closer, but because everyone's more predictable, it's it's a bit safer. Um, and you'll typically get you know a lot of the racers in there, a lot of the the old guys that used to race uh, that are now just kind of puttering around, um, as it were, for them. But yeah, so that's that's typically how you know the track days are, are divided in terms of skill or speed levels and and some track door organizations run a little differently they're all kind of unique um some organizations you have to graduate up you have to kind of pass a test before you can move up each group um for most people i tend to tell them my advice is ride c group for longer than you think you need to ride b group for the least amount of time you can get away with and then go right into a as soon as you can but but may i'm really curious as a female like what's been your perspective or what's been your experience because it is a very male dominated sport there's really only a handful of females who are out there regularly but what's it been like for you in the this track experience because you're out there every track day like we are well it's for a new rider it's a little bit intimidating um like once you get out there and once you get to know all the guys that are out there um you just you feel like you're one of them for the most part um, but when you first start writing, it's, it is very male dominated. We are very lucky at apex track days. We have a lot, a lot of women writers. I'd probably say there's at least 12 to 15 of us now. I have seen in some track situations where a lot of guys just can't have the girl rider in front of them. Do you, do you see that as much anymore? Or is that getting oh. better? <laughs> um, I don't think it'll ever get better. Honestly, uh, it doesn't matter how many women are out there. I think there's something to be said about seeing a braid out of the back of someone's helmet or bright pink leathers or whatever. Um, you get a little bit of red mist as a man. <laughs> And it honestly is amusing to me because it's like, I don't think I should be treated like any other writer. Like I'm just out there writing like you are, um, doing the best I can learning, but I do see it when I pass somebody all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I have to keep up with her. I have to pass her. I can't have a girl pass me. And being a woman, it's amusing when you're on that end of it. Like I know there's a couple other women out there who are really quick and they probably experience the same thing I do where when you pass a man, it's just like, sorry, I'm just writing. But all of a sudden it's like, you can hear them. They're right there. They're trying to keep up with you. And I don't know. It's fun. It's fun for me because like I said, I don't think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal to a lot of people. Well, Ribo, our good friend Ribo always says, uh, the motorcycle doesn't know. And, and to your point, there are some seriously, legitimately, absolutely fast women. The, the female aspect of it has nothing to do with it. It's The motorcycle doesn't know. The motorcycle doesn't care. 
that you're a girl or a boy and they're objectively fast. It's funny to me that guys still get really caught up about like, Oh, I, I can't, the girl's faster than me. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Right. <laughs> they should uh, learn the name Kylie Botkin. Um, and, and look her up. She's, I think she's 13 this year, 14, something like that. And she's on uh mini motos and just absolutely annihilates guys on supermoto tracks, just completely destroys them. And that's amazing. Um, May, to your point, what's it like in the paddock? Like, do you get mansplained out a lot? Do you get guys coming in? Oh, hey, you know, you're a little offline here. Let me help you. That kind of stuff. I don't get that so much. I mean, I used to when I first started writing, but now that my writing has gotten a lot better, um, I don't get it as much. But yeah, men will come over and try to help you. And it gets a little frustrating sometimes. It's like, you're wrong. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, I do see it a lot with, um, unfortunately, like spouses. Um, from my experience, you cannot teach your spouse to ride. It just doesn't work. You need an outside hand there. Um, and I see a lot of women who probably suffer a little bit because it's their husband who wants to teach them or their boyfriend who wants to teach them. And it just, it's never worked. Um, like when I'm riding with Alex, he'll give me a couple little tips here and there, which are really helpful. But as far as like really learning and diving into things, it has to be one of the other champ school guys. Like I need Isaiah there. We rode during the track day circus this year and he really helped me with my riding. And it's, it's things that Alex has always said to me, but coming from somebody outside, like somebody else, it hits a little bit differently. Um, the other thing I see a lot as far as like the way when women and men interact is if somebody comes up and is trying to talk to Alex and he's already talking to somebody else and they're asking questions about what do I do here? What do I do here? Um, because he's busy, I'll try to answer and I don't get listened to a lot. I get shrugged off because, you know, I'm not, a. I don't know if it's that I'm not the coach or if it's because I'm the woman, but I don't know. It's, it, I try to help people, but the only other people I can seem to help are other women. So I guess we'll just get better and the men can be slower. Like to, to toot Apex's horn a little bit, we do have female coaches and it's really nice because there are women who come up and they don't want to be coached by a man and who can blame them. And it's really great. They'll come up and say, do you have a, a, do you have a girl who can help me out? And we're like, oh yeah, she's right here. Go ask her. She's super fast. And you can kind of see the tension kind of come down. Right. That there's there's not that that mansplainy. So but May, what are what are some of the things that you've been working on in your own writing this year? I'm curious to know, like, what is the great May focused on? Well, <laughs> the mayhem. Her letters say mayhem on them. <laughs> I have been focused on mostly um, getting my knee down. And that is that's one of those things that we caution people um, to not make that a goal. But the way Chance School teaches it is if your body position is good, your knee will touch the ground before you lose traction. So I'm at the point in my writing where my body position is good. So I need to be able to get my knee down to go faster. Um, so that's why that's been my goal. And it's not easy. Um, there's a lot of caution that I put into my riding because I have a really nice bike. I don't want to crash my bike. So I'm not just willing to go out there and throw it over on the side of the tire. Um, so I've been working on my confidence and getting a little bit faster in corners and using lean angle more. Um, and it's been a little challenging this year because with unfortunately inflation, things have gotten more expensive. So I've sat out a couple of track days, um, just to help out. 
Um, so I feel like I'm a little behind, but this last track day was really great. Um, I went out, was on my bike. I was super comfortable again. And then Alex came out and he was like, Hey, you're riding slower than you were before. And it, you know, it's super frustrating. Cause you're like, no, no, my husband can't tell me I'm slow. Like this is no, I got that red mist that so many people get. And he's like, what you need to do is open your throttle all the way in between every single corner. That's what I want you to do. And then all of a sudden I was back to where I was. So that says something about having a coach and having somebody in control riders, like somebody there to just give you that little bit of advice that you need to get back on track. And if you, if you're a spouse, um, just keep it like if you're a spouse and, and you know what you're talking about and can get the point across, um, keep it super simple, right? Like if I had gone out of my way to lead May around every single corner around the racetrack, every session, it, it wouldn't have helped, but just kind of just putting that, that thought in your head of, you know, get to wide open throttle between every corner and then letting you go work on it on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, how was that helpful to you? Oh, that was very helpful. Um, you know, I like following you around. I like following other people around that I trust. Um, that's a big part of it because you can follow somebody around that's fast, but if you don't trust them, you're not going to learn anything. You have to trust that person that they're not going to mess up. They're not going to crash. They're not going to do something stupid. And then you learn from that. Um, but being able to just work on something yourself and then having somebody come back to you and say, you look so much better, like this is better. Um, it's very rewarding because you figured it out on your own. Like you got that little bit of information, you knew what you had to work on, but you were able to do it yourself. A lot of times we see like the, the, the male spousal unit leading the, you know, their, their significant other around to the point where they're hampering their learning, right? They're a, the oftentimes he's not as good of a writer as he thinks he is. So he's not really leading correctly. <laughs> He's not really, but like they, he, they're going slower. They're coddling to a point. Right. And you can almost see like the, the, the female rider getting frustrated. It's like, I want to go faster than you. And we've even seen situations where they'll come back into the pit and the husband will kind of start chastising. You're going too fast. And it was more that she was just progressing quicker than him. And now she wants to go faster than him and, and he can't deal with it. And, you know, as someone who's very, very lucky to be married to someone who rides like you guys are, it's, it's less of coaching between us. It's more of discussion, right? We'll, we'll have conversations. Well, how did this feel? How are you dealing with this? Because there are physiological differences, right? Like, you know, the center of mass is different between the two of us. And we have different upper body strength between the two of us. And so we solve problems slightly differently sometimes. And it's more fun to have these discussions than have these let me, let me, let me tell you how to do it. Let me bestow upon you my wisdom, right? Cause I don't think that's helpful at all. Right? No, it's not being, it's, you know, it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the first podcast being talked at is not helpful at all. Like you need somebody to help you. And as a spouse, you have to remember that your primary responsibility is to encourage and to support. And it's not to teach them let somebody else teach them. It, I promise it'll go better. Um, just be there, encourage them, you know, like Alex said, give them little tidbits along the way. Um, but don't try to just be their coach because it's never going to work and it's going to hinder your relationship. It's going to hinder your spouse's writing. Um, they need to grow on their own. And that's part of being a writer because when you're writing, it's you, 
it's your little bubble, you on your motorcycle, like you said, it's a very selfish thing and you need to be able to develop on your own as a writer. And there's a level at which, um, not everyone's a coach, right? Not everyone's cut out to be able to break through a mental barrier um, and, and find the language that really hits home. Not, and that's just the language portion, right? That's not the actual underlying knowledge and understanding how to diagnose a problem, you know, what next steps are all these things. So if you're struggling, like if you're out on the racetrack and you're, you're already a track day rider um, or, you know, your spouse is struggling, your significant other, whoever, find an actual coach, like find someone who has that background, has that reputation, has that knowledge and understanding. And typically it's not just the fastest guy in the paddock, right? Like there are plenty of fast guys in our paddock that have no idea why they're fast. Or even if they have an idea, they could not explain it. You know, they could, you know, they couldn't explain their way out of a paper bag as it were. So find, find that guy. I spend a lot of time listening right? When, it, when someone comes up to me with a question, a lot of times they may not be able to articulate it in a way that's as common, right? So they'll come up with a question, well, I'm struggling with this. And then I spend more time asking them questions. Well, what are you doing in that situation? Where are you? Where is your body? What is... So the first part of the coaching is... The first chunk of the coaching is actually listening to try to understand where they're coming from. And so a lot of people who don't know how to coach, like the fast guys, right? Like the dude's wicked fast, you know, their advice is usually terrible. Hey, I'm struggling with this thing. And they'll be like, more of this and less of that. They're not really listening. The most dangerous advice in the paddock is your buddies. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a difference between advice and instruction. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So find a reputable person or school. May, what, what do you like to see from the the coaching staff or the control writers, what type of conduct do you like to see them do that makes it a better experience for you? Uh, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, like I said, coaching, giving little tidbits, that's always helpful. Like it's really nice if you're brand new to the track, you don't quite know the lines yet, um, have somebody get in front of you and like, if they tap their tail, it means follow me. Um, so that is really helpful because then they can take the line, show you exactly where the line is supposed to be. Um, so it takes the guesswork out of writing that new track for you. Um, the other thing is they kind of get to be the bad guy sometimes. Um, like for instance, if you're out in C group, you're out in the polite group and somebody just passes you super close up the inside late. Um, I really do appreciate when they go over to that person, um, after the session is done and just say, Hey, you know, this was really unsafe. You made, um, somebody feel uncomfortable. Like we need to make sure that we're, being polite in this group and not passing late up the inside. And that's not okay. Um, because if everybody just went out there and did whatever they wanted, people would quit the sport really quick. Cause when you're a new rider and somebody spooks you and passes you like race path up the inside, you just want to get off. And that's typically, I've had that done to me before. And that's what I've done. I got off the track. I mean, I knew I was going to get back on, but it's like at that moment, you're done. You don't want anything to do with the motorcycle. You don't any, you don't want anything to do with the track. You just want to get off. Um, so having those control riders there to just kind of remind people, Hey, don't be a dick. You know, <laughs> that's, that's really nice. Yeah. And it's, I think, I love that you brought that point up because we lose a lot of riders in C group when that happens, you know, they have that experience. They don't come back. And 
I typically really appreciate it because I'm out there every C group, but I don't see everything. I'm only in one place at a time. When someone comes up to me and is like, hey, this happened, this scared me, I didn't enjoy that, you know, you shouldn't have to go deal with that person. Come talk to me. Let me go deal with that person, right? Most times, they don't really realize what they did was, was mean, or if they did, I have the opportunity to bump them up into a higher group. Go, go into B group and let's see how you, how you enjoy it you know, kind of a thing, right. because we want this polite experience. So it is fun for everybody. And it's, it's already a different experience, right? For everybody, um, you know, come into a track day, especially if it's your first time, you, you're probably not even familiar with how the day operates. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're already kind of on edge about that. You're like, Hey, am I doing the right thing? Am I going out in the right group? All these different things to worry about. The last thing you need to worry about while you're trying to focus on your riding is somebody else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having that control writer there, having that staff there to help you out with that and, and take care of those problems and take away that distraction is really, really nice. Yeah. And well, the other thing is if you, if you as a person, you do understand that you pass somebody poorly, you made a bad decision, you passed a blade, you committed and you couldn't pull back, go up to that person, find them if you can and apologize. That goes a long way saying, Hey, sorry, I didn't mean to spook you. I didn't mean to cut you up the inside. I'm sorry, because that takes a lot of the stress out of the day. If you as a person goes up and apologizes for what you did. And that's huge. Another thing you can do too, is you can kind of give a wave. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it, you know, kind of a thing that usually calms me down when I get kind of the jerky pass on me. But I have another question for you, May. When it comes to control riders or the coaches, a track day is a little different than a school. A school, you're expecting mm -hmm. it. But with a control rider on a track day, do you like when they approach you and say, hey, I saw this, or can I give you some feedback? Or would you rather be left alone and you approach them? What is the better experience for you? I think it's a personal experience. Um, me in where I'm at in my writing and the amount of schools that I've been to, um, I do appreciate sometimes somebody coming up and saying, Hey, you know, I saw this and this and this. Um, but I think for most writers, it's better to ask, but that's the thing is you have to ask, um, if you feel uncomfortable or, you know, like your spouse is trying to teach you and you just don't want them to, or you feel like you need a little extra help, you need to seek it out. Um, cause if you don't ask, sometimes people aren't going to offer, um, so I think it depends on your comfort level as a writer. Um, brand new writers, I think, should ask because, you know, you're new. Everybody's been there and it's just easier if you start the conversation because having somebody come up to you can also get you on edge a little bit. Um, and, you know, it's like it's unsolicited. So for me, I don't mind it, but I think people need to keep that in mind that, a lot of times people are going to mind you coming up and telling them how to ride when they didn't ask for it. Now, Dave, if somebody comes up to you and asks, Hey, you know, what did you see? Can you help me out? How often have you said no? Oh, I, I, I've never said no, but I also, I gravitate towards leaving people alone. The only time mm -hmm. I will approach somebody is if I see something that could might cause them to fall or might cause someone else to fall or cause someone else to fall or there, you know, someone comes up to me and says, this guy passed me jerky. We go talk to him. Like I'll go talk to those people. Um, because I kind of agree with you, mate. Like, I don't know why they're there. This isn't a school. They might be working on something really weird and I'm seeing, they might be working on posture and I'm seeing a line issue. Well, they're so like, I don't really know, but when someone comes up to me 
And if you ask that question, I will spend 20, 30 minutes talking with you about whatever you are working on. Are you struggling with lines or posture? Bring your bike over here. Let's sit on the motorcycle. Let's, I will spend all the time in the world with you. And it's, I think to your point, May, when you do a track day, which everyone should do a track day, go talk to the coaches, but I'm going to caution, um, not all of us are created equal. If you're not jiving with that person or some of the things they're saying aren't making sense, be like, cool, thanks. <laughs> like, you know, you can exit out. You're not obligated. You know, we get, we see some rider coaches or control riders give some really odd advice. And if it's not passing the smell test, you know, <laughs> go find someone else to talk to. <laughs> So that brings up an interesting point, right, Dave? So what are some good sources of information for track day riders? You know, you have to find reputable sources. Anybody can go to YouTube and go, how do I ride a racetrack? Enter. And you get, you know, 9 million results that all say different things. So there's what, where you're receiving your information from, who you're receiving it from, and what the information is are, are all really important questions. You know, you can't just walk up to anybody in the paddock and go, Hey, how's my body position? Right. Um, you know, the internet, the motorcycle, the motorcycle community on the internet is rough right now. There's a, a very bad signal to noise ratio. So it's, it's really, really hard to find that credible information. The, I tend to gravitate. And I think I built the relationship with the Yamaha champ school because of this, um, I like to see sources evolve. You know, there's a lot of schools and programs out there that are still teaching exactly what they taught 30 years ago. It hasn't evolved, or if it has, it's only minutely. Right. Th those worry me. Um, so I think Champ School is amazing. Um, the Champ U program, I think, is great. I think if uh, you're going to go do a track day and you haven't done Champ U yet, go do Champ U. You're going to be there with your feet underneath you, you're going to be in better shape than most people. Or even if you're doing track days currently and you haven't done it yet, you know, it's what you're working on matters because practice makes permanent. It doesn't make perfect. When it, when it comes to the person on the ground, um, I, I, maybe I'm superficial, but when the dude walks up and his leathers look like he's been dragged behind a pickup truck and his motorcycle looks like it's been rolled down a hill and he starts giving me advice, it's like, I don't want that. That's not what I'm looking for. You know, a leather suit's expensive. I don't want to fall if I don't have to, right? And I don't think anybody has to. So you can really gauge, you know, the condition of their gear and their attitude, like confidence is quiet. This really can't be said enough in the motorcycle community. Whenever anybody in the motorcycle community starts bragging about how quickly they, how quick they are, they are not. The fast guys know they're fast because there's, we can measure it. We can see it, you know? So really be cautious of the dude who talks about how fast they are. They're probably not. And be cautious of the gear that's beat up. <laughs> and go ask the staff at the track day, right? If you have a question, hey, just ask, are there, are there any coaches here? Because typically there are a couple of coaches that are actually out at the track day doing stuff, right? Like we have uh, at, at our at UMC, we have, you know, Alex Nyach and John Law have been, you know, coaching out there forever. Um, great guys to go ask questions off of. And even if they're helping students, you know, just wait a minute, you know, until they have a free second and just bounce a quick question off of them. Right. Brian is um, our other control writer. He won the championship this year. I'm hoping to have him on the podcast a couple of times because he is an incredible coach. We actually kind of coach a little differently 
Um, I tend to talk more to the newer street riders. I can relate to them better. But the super fast guys, if you're trying to, you know, you're looking for, I'll send them to Brian. Brian is the better person. So we kind of split that coaching duty based on the student and what they're looking for. And Brian's helped me tremendously this season too. So oh, he helps me all the time. Like the dude's awesome. He's fantastic. Yeah. Like, think about it this way. Even Rossi has a coach, right? Um, granted, he's not racing actively on motorcycles anymore, but I'd be willing to bet he's got a, a car coach working with him at his level. All these guys do. So there's always someone, el someone else's eyeballs on your riding is going to go a long way if they know what they're talking about. And, and, you know, that's like another advantage of a track day and a rider coach, right? To actually get someone to look at you, right? And, and we always talk about the, the track day photographer, right? And I love when track days have the photographer because you'll go out there and you'd be like, I'm like Rossi, I'm hanging off the bike. My knee must just be like millimeters from the ground. I'll bet you I'm going to touch my elbow. And then you get the photograph and you look like, you look like you're out on a Sunday ride, bolt upright, you know, and it's to have someone look at you and say, this is what I'm seeing. You may think your head's over here, but you're all crossed up and twisted. So let's fix that. And it's wonderful to get that kind of feedback. There's a flip side of that coin, though, and we see this a lot in the, uh, the street Rossi category. Um, guys will get their pictures back and they're dragging elbow. And then you see the next picture is like me or you right behind them, bolt upright at the same pace. You know, they're just needlessly doing it for the gram. And they're not fast. They're just literally just riding with a ton of risk. Um, and then you'll get, you know, May, some of your pictures this season, I know you've been disappointed with because you're working on things. And, you know, regardless of where the photographer um, is capturing you at, um, you're more focused on on learning than you are about doing it for the gram. So your pictures may not look like the the perfect fast boy. You know what I mean? Um, but he's also capturing a lot of you on like corner entry, right? As you're starting to tip into the corner. So where you are in the corner matters. A still image, like you can't do any coaching off of a still image unless it's super egregious because you don't know where in the corner the person is. You don't know what's coming up next. You know, if he just had to make a pass or if, if she's about to make a pass on the outside. So... I've seen that actually in some of May's pictures. It doesn't look like she's doing much, but I'm like, oh, wait, I remember this lap. She was going around somebody on the outside. Yeah, I was just going to say that because we see that on, on Reddit all the time. You know, the people like on our track days, especially, which is a good subreddit. I really like that subreddit, but they're like, how's my posture? And you're like, I don't know where in the corner you are. That doesn't, I, you, if, if you're at corner exit, that's terrible. If you're at corner entrance, that's, a, that's fantastic. And I trolled, I, so uh, our track days, right? I went on there uh, a couple of months back, actually, just to troll with the R6, right? Got the, the expert plates on there. Um, you know, a couple of my buddies are on there too. And uh, I, was, I posted a picture of me that was, my knee was close to the ground, but it wasn't down. And just, hey, how do I get my knee down? And like, you know, some of the people were like, oh, you're clearly trolling. But there were some very kind-hearted people that gave me, you know, a 700-word essay on how to get my knee down. And you're just like, oh, man, guys, calm down. It's a picture. Getting a knee down, I was going to ask, May, have you touched your knee yet? Yes. <laughs> what was it like? Well, that's an, it's an amazing experience. Tell us about touching the knee for the first time. Well, actually, the first time I touched my knee, I was on a mini and I was at champ school because they have minis um, down in Arizona and they're great tools because it's a lot easier to get those bikes leaned over. And my biggest thing was I wanted kind of like how I did my first track day before I did my first champ school. 
I wanted to know what it felt like before I got on my big bike and it freaked me out. And then I crashed immediately afterwards. So, you know, it, it's a weird feeling. Like you get, you touch your knee and you like, you can feel that friction and you can feel it in your leg. And it's like, I did it. And it, it really is. It's a, it's a credible experience. I can get my knee down occasionally. Um, I don't know that I can say I can do it intentionally yet and it's not consistent. So I still need to work on it, but you know, I come back and sometimes it's a very light drag and I didn't even feel it, but you look at your pucks and you're like, Oh, I rub, I rubbed somewhere. I don't know where, but I got my knee down somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's a great experience if you're doing it right. I feel like it'd be very scary if you're just doing it to do it. And that's one of the things we see. And I actually have a lot of fun at watching may is, um, she's arguably one of the fastest people in C group, like by a margin. Um, and she probably drags knee less than everybody else who's slower than her because her body position is that good. She's always online. She doesn't need to drag knee. Um, so the next thing, you know, we're kind of working on is let's, let's carry that speed further into the corner. You know, if we're not, uh, if our tires are warm, you know, like maybe saying, if our tires are warm and our body position is good, our knee will touch before we lose traction. And if we're not dragging our knee, we have more traction to give. So that's, we're, we're, we're working on getting closer to riding at that hundred points of grip everywhere. Well, and as someone who is not especially tall, um, but my motorcycles are all tall. I can barely, I'm like Pedroza on the motorcycle. I like, I hook my knee over the top of the seat to hold the bike up. It's, I have to be going really fast before my knees start touching simply because I'm physically smaller. I don't have these big, long, six foot tall person knees to kind of be putting out there. <laughs> I know, right? So like, it was a long, long time. I had basically given up. I, I figured I'm too small. I'll probably never touch a knee. I gave up on it. And then the first time I touched, I almost crashed. It scared the crap out of me. And mm-hmm. then it was just jubilance and elation. Alex, what was your first knee touch like? Um, that would have been at champ school on the FC09, which I mean, not terribly difficult to drag me on that bike, um, with good body position. Otherwise you're just dragging pegs. Um, I had, it was a good time. Um, I don't remember too much about it cause there was so much information coming through my head. I was like, Oh cool. I did it. I can now do this anywhere. Um, but I'm, so my level of riding has come up to the point where a knee isn't the best, uh, lean angle gauge for me. And that's really all it is at the end of the day is just where I'm at in terms of lean angle and where can I continue going? Um, so this season racing the R6, I started dragging elbow, um, pretty often in a lot of the corners. Um, and that's kind of my new lean angle gauge, at least, you know, for that bike for race pace, if I'm not dragging my elbow elbow, I, I still have a, a bit to give. And because I'm a taller dude, I have the benefit of, you know, my elbows and knees are roughly at the same place, a little, little bit further in. Um, so that's kind of what I do now is I'll, I'll get into a corner entry, my knees out, touches the ground. I'll start picking my knee up until my elbow touches. And then I'm going, Oh, okay. We're, we're pretty close to the limit here. Like I should start, you know, figuring out some more upper body to add here or things like that. So it's all, you know, there's, you see that and then you got Fabio out there dragging his shoulder around the racetrack. Okay, cool. You know, there's always a bigger fish. It's, and I actually really love that about that because, um, I love that I am still learning, you know, like I'm not the slowest guy out there, but there's certainly a lot of people who are way quicker than me. And I love the opportunity to be like, look, if you do this, you'd be quicker. Or if you do this, you could save some time. If you do this, you could gain some speed. And that's fantastic 
right? That it's, I'm not bored of it, you know, like video game. Yeah, you beat the boss level and you're, okay, I'm never going to play that again. But motorcycling is for real. And there's this constant opportunity to learn. And track days are such a fantastic place for that. Yep. Um, you know, if motorcycles were video games, they would, they would definitely be a, a from software game, right? Elden Ring, Dark Souls, that kind of thing. Cause it's just, <laughs> well, and if you're bored, if you get bored when you're motorcycling, it's because you're complacent because you're not trying to grow because there's no cap to the sport. So if you're bored, you're doing something wrong. And it's, you know, I've been the control writer for apex for, I don't know, 15 years, 16 years or something like that. We see every type of motorcycle. Like the last track day that we were just at, there were a guy on a, a Dyna and a guy on a Honda Shadow just like having a gas. 125 two-stroke was out there. Yeah, we see like BMW GSs and Multistradas all the time. Um, Gold Wings occasionally. That's, that's a lot of weight to be hucking around, but we see them. <laughs> yeah, sport tourer bikes out there all the time. Um, you know, new bikes, old bikes, big bikes, small bikes, it doesn't matter. Like that's the beauty of a track day, right? Just run what you've rung. Um, and you know, the tech going into it, you know, Hey, what do I need to do to prepare my bike is usually pretty simple. Um, yeah, for C group, I don't think we necessarily require this, but most track days require just a, a simple coolant flush, right? There's a couple different types of coolant. Um, the stuff that comes stock in your bike from the factory will leave an oil slick that is damn near impossible to clean up. Like it's just a real pain and it's, just slick as snot. Um, so slippery plus motorcycles plus speed, typically not a great combination. Um, but you know, most track days require, you know, your tires have tread on them, air in them, nothing's leaking, nothing's falling off. Um, tape your headlights or pull your fuses and tape your headlights, depending on the organization. Um, anything that's glass has to be taped. So, you know, mirrors can be either removed or taped your, your brake light. And this is something I've never really understood The the brake light has to be taped. Um, and that's kind of a cause of consternation, but a completely different conversation. Um, but really it's, it's fairly simple, you know, a roll of duct tape. So, you know, three bucks there. Um, I would actually recommend painter's tape, not duct tape for those of you listening. Uh, so three, <laughs> three bucks for the tape, you know, maybe five or six bucks for, uh, a big jug of distilled water to replace your coolants. Um, you know, 10 minutes on YouTube to figure out how to flush the coolant in your motorcycle. And you're pretty much ready to go to the racetrack in terms of the bike itself. And every track day organization is different. There's going to be different requirements and you're going to need, and a lot of those are determined by the racetrack itself. So like at our track, the reason why we can't run brake lights is because the, um, the corner workers in the racetrack, they don't like it for some reason. And we've been arguing with them for that for years. But the point is to ask and find out what the requirements are for you. But um, you don't need to safety wire. Um, you don't need to catch basin. You, you don't need, a lot of those things are racing requirements. Right. And there's very different from the track day requirement. Yeah, in terms of, uh, you know, personal protective equipment for a track day, if you have or can borrow or can rent a set of one piece leathers or two pieces zip together leathers, um, that's the best protection you're going to get. I know our track day at Utah does something a little special for the C group though, Dave. Right. Well, we have suits you can borrow or rent. And C group, um, a lot of times you can ride in your street gear as long as it is armored. Uh, but I know a lot of people, they get really 
put off by the suit, but you don't need to go buy like a $3,000 Dionysi, although it's my personal preference. You can get on eBay and you can pick up a used suit and for a couple hundred dollars and you can be out there. That shouldn't be a deterrent. So one of the things that, you know, we hear all the time, you know, riding around at the racetrack and, you know, especially with the newer riders is like, oh, when am I going to crash? As if it were mandatory some, for some reason that we crash our, our motorcycles. And it's not mandatory. It's certainly not even recommended that you, you know, you crash a motorcycle. It's entirely optional. And, and really what it boils down to is just your technique and how you're inputting those controls. Um, there is a higher probability of crashing on a racetrack just because we're at higher speeds, right? You know, as a pace comes up or a grip goes down, things matter. So when the pace comes up, you do have a higher likelihood of crashing. But what we see a lot of is the severity of the crashes is tremendously lower, like orders of magnitude, uh, easier than crashing on the street. There are no guardrails. There aren't cliffs to fly off of. And typically what we see is, especially, you know, in the, the newer groups is an underloaded front tire, low side, you know, coming into a, a turn, they're off the brakes and on the throttle and then they turn, um, and front tire goes out from underneath them and causes maybe a hundred, 200 bucks worth of plastic damage. And they get back up and, you know, the ego might be bruised a little bit, but they're completely fine. The bike mechanically is completely fine. They get a free ride on the crash truck back to, uh, back to the paddock. EMS comes and checks them out. Um, all for free and they go about the rest of their day. I think that a lot of the reason why people do crash or part of the reason why they do is, is because they expect to, um, same reason why you go out and buy an old beater bike and say, I'm going to turn this into my track bike. Well, guess what? If you are assuming you're going to crash, so you buy a bike to crash, you're going to crash. So get a nicer bike, get one that has nice ergonomics, good electronics, and then you're going to be motivated to not crash that bike. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, that is so true. You know, and, and the last thing I was going to say too, before we kind of move on to the next topic is, is there's an ambulance there. We can't run unless there's an ambulance there. So when we go back to, I always feel a lot of motorcycling is all about minimizing risk. How do I minimize risk? Well, I can wear a helmet, you know, I can get training. I can do all these things, right? I can run good tires. All these things kind of work together to minimize risk. Well, now we're at a racetrack. There's a, a ambulance right there. And say something does go totally pear-shaped and there is a bad crash, the ambulance is right there. It's not like the top of East Canyon or wherever where you're off in the bushes and nobody even knows you're there and Lord knows how long it takes before the ambulance could even get there, right? I think the longest I've ever seen the ambulance take was two minutes to get to somebody. So, you know, as, as we like to do, let's talk motorcycles because we, we all like motorcycles. Um, I went to the internet and got a list, according to the internet's, the best track bikes. And uh, there's some on here that blew me away. And there's some on here that uh, we know are going to be there that probably none of us would ever recommend. Um, and that's the first bike. The first bike the internet recommended was the SV650 as, as a first track bike. What are your thoughts on an SV650 for a track bike? Um, hasn't been upgraded or changed in, what, 20 years at this point? 1998, I think, is when it came out. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, it hasn't been upgraded or changed in quite a bit. Um, the rest of the industry has moved on, so should you. 
<laughs> right. And, you know, on our Discord channel, if, you're, if you want to hang out with us on Discord, we have these conversations all the time. We all joke that most of us have an SV650 phase. And, you know, it's kind of what May was talking about. Like, well, I'll just get a bike that's kind of disposable. It's kind of, you know, whatever. Um, I spent so much time and energy trying to turn a bike into something that it never was, right? It had, it started out with two bars or whatever, and it was designed to be a commuter. Um, a friend of ours, Jerry calls them uh, uh, chicken coop bikes. These bikes that are designed <laughs> to transport ch chickens across the far East. And I tried to turn it into a race bike and it never was the frames noodly, the suspension's terrible. And so um, I know a lot of people get all excited about the SV650. I, I think it slowed me down in my progression all the years I spent on my SV. So this is, this is kind of a part of a conversation that you and I have had in the past. Um, and I know May was involved in this conversation as well. Um, at a high level, when we're talking about bikes for the racetrack, don't get an old beater bike that you're willing to crash. It just doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work out for anybody. And like May said earlier, you know, if you're getting a bike that you're expecting to crash, guess what, you, guess what you're going to do with it. So we have a, a buddy of mine that I work with. Um, races Moto America Twins Cup. Uh, he, you know, raced an SV650 for a number of years, and he spent a boatload of money making that thing even passably uh, competitive, right? Way more than the bike was worth to make it competitive. He jumped on May's RS660, brand new, street tires, um, you know, stock electronics, stock everything, at the Ridge Motorsports Park a couple years ago when they first came out and was within two seconds of his personal best, on a, on a brand new stock, motorcycle, yeah. brand new motorcycle with street tires, with turn signals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, these weren't even like track day tires. These are pure street, like let's go to the grocery store tires. Right. Um, there's something to be said for being comfortable on a motorcycle because being comfortable will lead to confidence and the ability to focus on your technique and on the racetrack and not on what the bike is doing itself. Um, or really fighting the bike as it were. So if you are comfortable, you're going to be confident. If you're confident, you're going to improve your focus. If you're improving your focus, you can work on building your skill set. But the basis of all that is again, comfortability and confidence. You guys had a really good conversation the other day about buying new motorcycles. And every time that we have, or anybody has ever made a decision to buy a motorcycle, that is an intelligent decision you end up not liking that bike. Your decision should be based on emotions and on heart. When you sit on a bike, you just know it. And that's how it should be. If you get on a bike and you're like, oh, I hate this bike, but you know, it's a good financial decision and I'll build it to make it good and blah, blah, blah. You're still going to hate it. That's just how it works. Was that saying, remember this sport is supposed to be fun? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it's, that's been my experience, right? You make these pragmatic decisions and it's, it's still just not what you wanted, right? Like, go get what you want. Like, it's life is short, man. Not that we're selling motorcycles. Well, May, May knows actually uh, about this whole, you know, um, Gucci bike versus non-Gucci bike. So, May, give us a little, you know, a little taste of, you know, what you went through with your prior track bike and what, where you're at now. Well, my first track bike was a Bonestock R3. Um, actually, I don't think I did anything to it other than engine case covers and a little bit of pretty tape to make it look nice. So it was bone stock. It was the stock or the, um, 
entry-level model that didn't have ABS or anything on it. So zero electronics. It was a good learning bike. Um, it taught me really quickly what I was doing wrong. And it was so light and got upset so easily that I learned how to be really smooth. Um, and it got to a point where I was just tired of fighting the bike. And so I did a lot of research and I found the RS before it had been released and everything that people had written about it, all the specs on it. I loved it. And I loved this bike before I even saw it, before I sat on it, before anything. I just loved it on paper. So one winter, uh, when it first came out, I just called one of the dealerships on a whim and was like, hey, do you guys happen to have one of these bikes coming in that I can reserve? And they did. And so we went over there. I swung one leg over the bike and that was it. I loved that bike. Um, the RS is amazing. I was instantly comfortable on it, um, instantly faster. Um, I wanted to share it with the world. So I let people ride my bike um, just so that they can understand what a good bike actually feels like. Because when you find it, it's incredible. Like your riding just explodes and you get so much better so quickly. Um, and you're, you're happy. The riding explodes, right? Yeah. Not you, no, I, no, I, I explode all <laughs> over the place, whatever. Um, <laughs> no, you just, you get so much better and you have fun doing it. And I think that's the biggest part is when you find. And we keep talking about like modern advancements, you know, the, the SV650 came out in 1998. It, it, unless you're really into racing vintage and that's your jam and that's cool. This is a recreational activity. Follow your heart. But motorcycles have evolved. Our riding styles have evolved. Tires have evolved. There's not a whole lot of value. If your goal is to progress and become a better rider, there's not a whole lot of value learning how to ride a motorcycle from 30 years ago. It, it doesn't really relate as much to now. The technology, the the geometry, the electronics, like it's, you know, come, me, you know, like I was on that 848 since 08, right? Is the, it's, it's blowing me away how much I've missed in the last 15 years coming to a new motorcycle. And you're like, wow, I shouldn't have, I should not have hung on to that bike for as long as I did. I should have advanced sooner because the new bike is better and I'm having more fun on it learning more modern riding techniques. So bottom line, new bike, good old bike, maybe a good learning tool. If you're trying to do something specific, but you're going to have probably less fun on it unless you're doing that. Fair well, to say? And there, there's something else I think I really want to bring up. Cause we talked about this a little bit in the thing too. And, and this relates to Mrs. Canyon chaser, you know, she's an, an incredibly, you know, experienced rider. She's been riding, you know, we've been riding together since, 95 is, is how long we've been riding together. And so she decided she wanted to get a track bike. And she's like, I want a little bike. I want a little bike. And so as everyone probably knows, I built her that little KTM 390. And it is a rocking little bike. But she has really struggled on the little bike because you ride it so differently than a big bike. And she's been on big bikes for, you know, 20, 30 years. She, you know, she got a super hawk, you know, you know, 1000 CC V twin you know, in the late nineties and she's been riding big bikes ever since. And so now to step down to this little bike that you ride so differently, it's, I don't know if it was the right choice for her to get the little bike, even though it sounded like the better choice, right? You learn some very specific things from little bikes. Like may was saying, you know, how to be smooth, especially with, you know, inputs and movements across the bike. Um, but at some point being on a little bike for too long can actually hurt your progress. 
um, you start to develop some bad habits, especially with a throttle, because you can get away with all kinds of weird things with a throttle on a little bike because there's just no torque. Um, so if you're going into a little bike to learn something specific, like learn, Hey, I need to work on body position and timing and, uh, you know, lean angle or, um, you know, control or inertia. Inputs. Like yeah. I'm afraid of inertia. I'm too slow in corners. A little bike does teach you about inertia, yeah. but it does not teach you about trail braking. Right. And the other thing it doesn't do is it doesn't, um, doesn't coddle you at all. Like there's no safety net on a little bike. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and I like little bikes. I've always liked them. I've always enjoyed them, but I, if you have some level of experience, don't be too afraid to go get a 600 or an RS660, or you don't necessarily, if you've been riding for 10 years and now you're ready to start jumping into track days, don't feel obligated to go buy an R3. It, right. it doesn't necessarily need to be where you have to start. Little bikes are a fantastic tool for improvement. Um, but they're a tool for improvement, not necessarily a let's go have fun and bomb around the racetrack thing. Right. Like we know some like uh, like Jason DeSalvo, I know when when he's struggling, he'll go hop on a Morawaki, which are these little teeny Japanese, you know, like two stroke or four stroke 250s. Right. And he's like, it's all about like getting me comfortable back at these things. And then I go back to my big motorcycle again. Right. Right. And so, um, and then, so going down the list, a lot of these things kind of make sense. Ninja 650, CBR 650, Monster 696. I think those are all really solid choices. Um, They're more modern than the SV. Like the SV hasn't seen a meaningful update since it got fuel injection in like 02 or something like that. And the 650, the Ninja 650 actually just got a significant upgrade this year, I believe. um, Yeah, and it looks good too. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's got enough power that it, it'll have you know, giggling a little bit, but not enough power that you're going to be worrying about yourself into turn one. <laughs> right. Right. That's true. You know, and like the next one is like the Ninja 400, which I'd put the, um, the KTM in that same category. Yeah. Ninja um, 400 RC 390. Yeah. You, you campaigned the 400 before yep. you got the R6. Um, I, I, I like them. I'm not being negative on them, but, um, don't expect you'd keep it for three or four years. I, I think, right. You'll, you'll probably outgrow them relatively quickly unless you have parents that really love you and they are, you're 16 and they buy you a motorcycle to start getting into this. Then these little bikes are amazing because they oh, yeah. are really the best place to start if you're a younger rider. Well, I mean, look at what, uh, you know, Kayla Yakov is doing, right? So she qualified 10th, I believe it was, uh, for the R3 Cup um, in, you know, at the world level. And she's, what, 15 this year? So yeah, like the, the 400s and R3s for training tools, for improving your riding, phenomenal. Like it's very hard to get anything better. But note, we're talking about the newer gen R3s and 400s. We're not talking about like, you know, let's go back in time and jump on a 250. Right. Because I think, you know, Yamaha is doing a great job. These like the RS660, the R7, I think these are better platforms. Mm-hmm. I think they are absolutely better platforms. They're more modern, better geometry. Um, I think they're fantastic. Now, one of the bikes on this list kind of made me chuckle. Um, the S1000RR or the, like the Panigale. And I'm like, um, if you're comfortable with an S1000RR or a Panigale, you probably don't need a list to tell you what track bike to go buy, <laughs> right. right? Because like, why, like, you know? But I mean, it's one of those things, like, if you want to go fast, right? If you want to be the dude on the super bike, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Like, they're phenomenal bikes. You know, the engineering is, you know, flawless on those things. And 
They're super fast. Uh, the only thing that I would caution you is, you know, something we see at the track all the time. Bikes are so good these days with electronics and everything else that you'll end up riding at 120% of what you're capable of because the electronics are saving you and you're not understanding that. All of a sudden you're at 121% and the electronics go, well, that's all I've got, bud. Like, have a good time. There's a wall over there. Yeah, we make fun of those guys all the time. They're like, we call them like trust the tech, right? They just hammer the throttle down the straightaway, trust the tech, the traction control will save them. They get to the corner, they just drop anchor and they just, the bike's hopping under the ABS and they're just trusting the tech. And then, you know, the traction control and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You'll, you'll probably learn more faster on a middleweight if this is like your first foray into this. But right. if, if you're already riding the track, yeah. To an extent, you can trust the, you can trust the tech to the extent that you make small mistakes. Mm -hmm. Right. But the whole point of riding a motorcycle is to fix the mistake. Right. I, I think technology, which I love, it's more of an ally. It's not something that you rely on. It's something that's looking out for you. It was like, oh, there was a little tuft of dust there that you probably didn't see. Let me, let me throw the traction control here for a second and just make sure. At the street and track day level, yes. At the street and track day level, absolutely. Um, when we start talking about professional racing, then it becomes a little bit of a bike is completely unrideable without electronics <laughs> <laughs> which is true moto gp right like they yeah it's totally true um a lot of the other bikes on this list are like really oddly specific like the 95 to 98 steel frame cbr 600 that no i think that's may's point that's a bike you're buying to crash you know i'm gonna just go get a crasher um the the triumph street triple i think that bike is really cool i think that is a very capable track bike i got a uh a buddy on a, a discord from, from our Reddit. Um, he's got a stripple, um, as, as he loves, loves to refer to it as still trying to convince him to get it onto the racetrack, but you know, we'll, we'll get him there. Yeah. They're that, that triple motor is a peach. Do they still do the Daytona seven sixty five or six seventy five or whatever, yep, or they still make those? Yep. Yeah. That's a cool bike. I really like that's that a bike. beautiful bike. Um, any 600, I think. Yeah. Any modern 600, I would say, you know, like a modern R6, CBR 600, Jixxer 600. Yeah, just realize that like the R6 um, behind me, specifically the R6, is a platform I would say to wait on until you get to A group because it needs very specific inputs in terms of how much load you're giving the front and rear tires as you're coming in and exiting corners. Otherwise, the thing just does not feel good. Like, it's not a bike to go slow on. It's it's where I think like the R seven or the RS six sixty I think are better platforms. They're a Absolutely. little bit more, a little more torquey, a little bit more forgiving, a little less. I mean, you got to think like the six hundred is basically that was the race series for years and years and years, and so they're kind of the victim of their own success. We made them so powerful and so peaky that they are a little more challenging to ride. You can't go faster on them, but there's a little bit more nuance to it, right? And then uh, I think this is probably the best track day, but you got to have a lot of money to have a, the best track day bike. A Kramer Evo 2. <laughs> it's a 690 that only weighs 275 pounds, but I think they're like 40 grand. But I, I think that would be the killer track day bike. If you, if you have 40 grand, that would be go fun. pick up a Kramer. <laughs> Honestly, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm sad that there's not a plethora of standard or naked upright bikes on that list because you know, arguably I have way more fun on the MT-10 than I do on an R6 um, or really any other bike. It's just, there's something to be said for 
bringing a bike to the racetrack that's not necessarily designed to be on the racetrack and going fast with, which is why I love it when guys bring out their gold wings. You know, there's a there's one fellow that runs out there with his Harley with, you know, 18 inch A pangers. It's awesome. You know, we see him at all the time. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, track day is for you and your bike, regardless of who you are or what your bike is. Just, you know, do that mild safety prep get yourself ready to, to learn and have a phenomenal time and just run what you brought. And to, and to May's point, like, listen to your heart. Like if you really love Honda Hawk GTs, right? If you just, you always do it. Absolutely do it. You can make it work. Right. So yeah. All right. So as we wrap up this podcast, we are going to have a little bit of a contest on uh, every single episode. We are going to ask a trivia question and the we're going to choose a random correct answer for a, a champ U certificate. Is that right, Alex? That's correct. So what will our, what is our first trivia question for a champ U certificate? So our first trivia question, in addition to slowing the motorcycle, what two things can we control with the rear brake? Mm, I like this question. What two things can we do with our rear brake besides slow the motorcycle? All right, guys, you have the question. Uh, correct answer. We will choose a correct answer at, at random, and you will win a fabulous prize. Guys, thank you so much for joining. May and Alex, I'm so glad we spent this time together talking about track days. I love them. You love them. Uh, and you out there in the audience you'll love them too. So sign up for a track day, go have a great time. It's a great way to get to know your motorcycle, way more fun than parking lots. I'm just going to say, I, I like going fast. Um, Alex May, any final words? You know, come out to a track day, have an absolute blast of a time, come meet some of the nicest people you'll ever meet and really improve your riding skills on whatever you ride, wherever you ride. Just don't be shy. Come say hi. We'll be more than happy to help you. Oh, she made it rhyme too. Wow. Nice. Don't be shy. Come say hi. Oh, I love it. You better dress fly. <laughs> you better dress fly. Oh, we can keep adding to it. Uh, yeah. Add to our rhyme. Um, anyway, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. Ride on and ride well. Ride well.